This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're tuned into the show that explores the narratives of iconic landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. Though we're not going to focus on any specific landmarks this month, instead we're going to reflect on the importance of cultural mapping on a more granular scale. We've decided to shift our focus slightly for this month's episode. No specific landmarks that we're going to hone in on, but instead we're going to talk about the importance of cultural mapping, especially one that focuses on smaller communities and narratives in our localities. Heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa will be sharing her thoughts on the subject and the inspiration that led to this conversation. The Philippines recently enacting a cultural mapping act. It's a, a, a new um, bill which was passed, just passed into law in the Philippines where they were looking at what is described here as fortifying the conservation of the nation's cultural legacy through comprehensive cultural mapping. There's a lot of talk about cultural mapping in Malaysia. You know, everybody says that they're doing cultural mapping and they're mapping this and they're mapping that. And and I mean, what's a map, right? I mean, a map is almost, you know, where you, where you, when we look at maps, I mean, it can be all kinds of maps, right? A, a road map will tell us if we want to get from one place to another place, um, what roads do we use or how do we, you know, an uh, economic map will tell you, you know, what's happening in different parts of the country. Uh, um, a geological map will, you know, tell you what the geology or what, what the, uh, of, of the area, what the rock, uh, you know, is made out of in, in terms of, of a country. A maritime map will tell you. So basically what a cultural map, you know, in, in effect, uh, will identify um, cultural assets, and in this this case of of the Philippines, I mean, they they I think um, as much as we talk about, you know, we live uh, and we have a very diverse, multicultural, uh, multiple communities in Malaysia and both Peninsular Malaysia as well as East Malaysia. We are very very diverse. Um, when we talk about the National Heritage Act, the National Heritage Act kind of like the, the key word there is national. It's what is important for the nation. You know, what are the things that highlight the nation? So it's a very, very sort of, a, it's the jewel in the crown kind of thing. It's, you know, this is the star. This is the beauty queen. This is this is what is like key and critical and important. Whereas what it looks like, what they're doing um, in, in the Philippines is this is an amendment to their National Cultural Heritage Act, uh, which they passed in uh, 2009. Our National Heritage Act was passed in 2005. And this is really to um, to deepen, maybe, and to broaden and to widen. So you're actually exploding, you know, this notion of, of enlarging and embracing this notion of national heritage, not as national with capital N, but national with embracing all the different parts of the nation, of its people, of its areas. And I think that that is something that, you know, the more and more we talk about it, the, the more we, we see, I mean, we, when we've been discussing all these different buildings and places, and they're made out of um, different histories, different peoples, different aspirations, different um, physical as well as, you know, physical assets. So what we see, what we can experience, but also um, 
what is the soul of it? You know, what are the the aspects of it that are not so physical and tangible, that may be social, that may be belonging to communities, uh, food, visions, or you know, that we share, dreams that we have together, that we embrace together. Um, and this idea of cultural mapping is that local, all communities, big, small, old, new, you know, uh, will identify and assign value. This is important to us. And so who is to say, no, 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 this is not important. You know, it's like, it, it's important to us. It may not have the kind of value that um, is, you know, prime in terms of the national agenda. Um, and what's the national agenda? Very often is political agenda. Very often, you know, I mean, that, that you, then we can get into another whole conversation, which we won't go into here. But it's, you know, what do we understand about local traditions, local practices, local peoples. Um, and so they could be very modest. You know, what is a, what is, we talk about, you're from Malacca, you know, Malacca people at Perak, you're very, you're different. You have different, you, you're you connected because uh, Perak Malays will say that, that, you know, the Perak Sultanate, you know, and the Malacca Sultanate, obviously, um, the Parak Sultanate are representatives and, and, and the continuation of the Malacca Sultanate. But Malacca doesn't have Sultan right now. You know, it hasn't had for 500 years, right? So that's where you are connected. And yet, when we look at it architecturally, when you look at language, when you look at food, it's quite, quite different. And then when you go to Parak, Parak is a huge state. Uh, you know, in north of Parak, you, you're looking at, you know, um, its connection with um, Patani, with the kingdom of Siam, you know, uh, the Rayman kingdom. Um, and then you go south, its connection really, you know, all the way south is, is it bordering or with Selangor? Um, and somewhere in the middle, you know, you have things that relate to, for example, economic development to do with tin, to do with rubber, to do with education and the character of people. Uh, if you are in uh, Kuala Kangsa, um, you know, what people in Kuala Kangsa relate to won't necessarily be the same thing. Malay, let's say, within culturally within a Malay village uh, architecture, uh, vernacular architecture will be different from what we might see in Telo Ensen, Telo Intan, for example, you know. Um, so, so there are these shades and these limits. And so what's national? And I think that this Filipino um, act, is actually really, if if they're able to do it, you know, extremely um, forward and 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 moving, um, because it it empowers everyone to acknowledge and to embrace your your own legacy, your own history, your own background, um, and not feel um, that it's a lesser. Yeah, you, you brought up very, a very good point there, but let's rewind a bit and just focus a lot more on on the fact that when you said that our National Heritage Act is aspirational, what, what do you mean by that? You know, aspirational in what sense? So if you look at KL, for example, since we are, you know, in this, we talk about the, this area, right? And we look at, um, let's talk about physical, tangible buildings, yeah, assets. And uh, we look at the list of what is, on the register, the National Heritage Register, um, that is gazetted, that is acknowledged. You have a whole group of buildings, um, which monuments, a lot of them are monuments. Um, let's say if you go back into history and you think a hundred plus years ago, 
um, a lot of them around surround the Padang area um, in the center, which which is the historic civic heart um, of of the city, of the old city, um, and not that. Then, of course, next door is the historic uh, commercial heart, right? But if you take the civic heart and you look at the buildings around there, you have institutional buildings, the Sultanat, the Samad building, the the uh, former GPO, the former Standard Chartered building, the former um, printing press, the former JKR building, the former um, uh, survey office, the former city hall building. Um, and then, of course, uh, a few um, other uh, key, you know, very important buildings re representing local communities, Masjid Jame, uh, for example, um, St. Mary's uh, Cathedral. Um, and then close by in, in the Chinatown area, the Zia Temple and the Sri Mariaman Temple. And these are all monuments, uh, some of which are gazetted as national and some of which are just acknowledged on the DBKL plan as important historic structures. And so they, they are representative of a very high, um, uh, I'm not going to say caliber, but a very high level where a lot of people, more, a lot more people maybe interact with them. Yeah. Um, you know, in the House of Parliament, for example, our Parliament House, is is an important uh, monument, um, as is the um, the National Museum, for example. And for that, that cuts across all communities, right? Because the Parliament House obviously represents um, the way in which you know Malaysia as a, a democratic uh, nation uh, represents itself, and 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 so. What the building itself is representative is the icon that 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 you look to, you know, um, the national museum that holds the history um, and the story of of the nation, and this is throughout. Then you have that, but with um, uh, the buildings, let's say I was mentioning earlier, the ones that relate back to the the British colonial civic heart, the British Raj period, if you want to call it, you know, and that style of buildings, they're, they're extremely uh, iconic um, to Kuala Lumpur um, historically, yeah. But they represent kind of like uh, some of them uh, have very close connections to the way in which our civil services run. But they don't necessarily represent the many different peoples of the nation. It represents institutions. Yeah. Um, so you have a, a situation, I think, in KL where, where let's say, smaller communities uh, may not have their buildings or their structures or their community centers or their traditions acknowledged within. Uh, on this list. And so how does the list happen? Well, I think that, you know, there is a committee, obviously, there is a law, there is a minister, um, and it's well outlined, you know, it goes through a process. Um, things, people, artifacts, assets are identified and um, then assessed uh, for the value to the nation. And it is to the nation. It is not to a community within the nation. It is to the nation. 
So if it has that level of gravitas um, and that, that can be proved um, and that can be sustained, then it becomes an important, it can be on the list. But when we look around, and I will go back to those buildings around the Padang, um, yeah, how many of them are open to the public? Um, you know, the, this this past weekend there was the Standard Chartered um, uh, uh, Marathon, right? Uh, that was set around the Padang, you know, with with that that whole area, um, and uh, these buildings act almost as a backdrop, beautiful backdrop, but they act as a backdrop, right? So you're all in front of it, you know. Participants are in front of it. Every, you know, the public is in front of it. Um, and they act as a backdrop, um, like in theater. You know, you have the scenery, the the Ulbang Sawan. You had a flat that flew down a fly. You know, a, a, a basically a backdrop that show showcases uh, monuments or something beautiful or a beautiful scene or whatever um, that everybody relates to. That, but do you know how much direct emotional interest? Um, do we have um, with those buildings? And if I ask you, have you ever stepped in to the Sultan Sawad building? Just yes. question. Uh, have yeah. you? Yeah. You um, have. Oh, once, okay. Yeah, but, but, well, once. Okay. Yeah, just... um, do most people who visit the area um, step in? To, you know, is it accessible, physically accessible? Um, so, so when we look at... Um, making these connections it it is it is it's very i'm not saying they shouldn't be monuments because they are monumental and they they're very important to to the nation and to nation building and to the way which you know our, our history and our culture and and uh, well our history and our economic progression for example you know and the and the way we've turned out really um because that's how history affects us all um but you don't have an emotional link with it more than uh, more than uh, an aesthetic, you know, more than a familiarity. It's there. It's beautiful. It's monumental. Um, and if the clock tower wasn't there, we'd miss it. But we never knew it was there in the first place. We wouldn't miss it. Do you know what I mean? Whereas on a very personal level, um, let's say within a family structure, if your parent or your grandparent was no longer present, was no longer with you, you would miss them, and the 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 missing of it would would be much more emotional. You know that there would be that kind of emotional link to it. Whereas with these physical structures, there may not. There may be. You might work in them. You might every day pass them. You might, you know um, have that connection, and then you know you go to something like. Um, the former Pudu Jail, um, which is now, uh, you know, has been demolished. Uh, it was no longer acting as a jail for many, many years before it was demolished. Um, and now what is left representing it is a, a part of its original gateway, the, the first gateway entrance to the jail. Um, and even then, it's not complete. It's just a pintu gerbang, you know what I mean? Uh, it's just the gerbang part of it, and it's really quite hollow in in that in that way. And if 
nobody knew what it was because you don't know the history of KL or you have not, not lived here or not interacted with it, you know, you would wonder what it's doing there because it's quite incongruous with the rest of the structure. So it's when we talk about cultural mapping um, in KL, you know, and we talk about, let's say, in the Philippines, we're talking about empowering communities, all communities, all levels to map out, to assess, to ascertain, to basically um, identify what are important assets um, that express themselves, express their things they value, express their society, express um, their aspirations, express their history. Um, And that really is what is important. So, you know, if we were to map KL, uh, it, it would be as a, as a city, um, you know, the city of KL, the, the federal territory of Kuala Lumpur. You know, we have many different, uh, we have MPs, right? So, you know, in each one of these areas, we have our districts, our areas. So let's say uh, you, you take Ampang or you take, uh, you know, um, Bukit Bintang. You know, even within Bukit Bintang, you have so many different areas. Um, with different peoples, communities that have built up different areas. So the area around um, uh, TRX, for example, um, and the area around um, the pavilion development, you know, they they were set up by, they were housed or, or they were, rather there were different communities who were interacting with them much smaller communities, uh, much more intimate, and, and that had historical links, etc. So when we map the area, we are not looking at just this very high level, what is good for the nation, or what is important to the nation, but what is important to us, the people of Kuala Lumpur. And I think that that's really why cultural mapping is important, um, that at least we can not just remember for nostalgia's sake, but actually learn lessons from that. I think that really is 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 what happens. Um, but our National Heritage Act is a National Heritage Act, and with national being very much the key word. That was our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, talking about the importance of cultural mapping on a more granular level. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Anif Baharudin, and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin. Joining me on the show today is Elizabeth Cardosa, heritage conservation expert. We're not specifically talking about any landmarks per se in this episode, but rather discussing the importance of cultural mapping, especially one that focuses more on the smaller, less mainstream communities' heritage and narratives. Here's the second part of our conversation. Mm. I agree with you. I recognize the importance of getting into the more nuanced, the more specific part of our communities uh, to be able to, I guess, understand and appreciate them a lot more. But I mean, just to play devil's advocate for a bit, um, I think when it comes to talking about this this kind of stuff, um, you know, it's like opening a kind of worms, right? So, so, so because then you're then opening Start up that op- stop, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so, so because, because every community, to be fair, you know, value things differently, right? And and I think if you want to start appreciating everything, then wouldn't 
the value of something like a National Heritage Act or a Heritage Act of sorts be lessened? But you know, it becomes a bit bloated by a lot of things that a lot of different communities value. Not that I'm against you or anything, but it's just that you know, just trying no, to no, play. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's precisely that. I mean, the National Heritage Act works in Malaysia because it, the national is the prime driver, right? Um, and so uh, things can be assessed against that of the nation, uh, the history of the nation, the the achievements of the nation, the, the the key leaders of the nation. You know, within within that um, structure, and I, I totally agree with you about, you know, where do you start and where do you stop? I mean, it's an it's almost an impossible um, situation. But um, I think is is important to have many different starting points for this mega narrative because right now the mega narrative is the nation of Malaysia and this nation of Malaysia is very much seen uh you know it, it is driven I think by a uh, certain um be- not beliefs but well it is Rukunagara for example you know it's very important it, it underpins us you know, in, in terms of, of bringing together uh, diverse um, communities um, into one um, full with, with and saying that, 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 you know, this is what we, we, we benchmark against nationally. And that, that's really, really important. But then what happens um, when, when you look at it at, at other levels? Does that mean that things which are not of the nation are therefore lesser? I'm not saying to change the National Heritage Act. I am saying what I think the Philippines have done is that the fact that they're making every local community, every local municipality, municipal council um, look very seriously at mapping, at identifying these assets. And you might find that this mega narrative of the nation, of the history of the nation, may not be the only mega narrative you know it may be a mega narrative of um immigration immigrants coming and building a, a society uh which maybe only it may only be a small group but maybe they had a big impact i don't know you know uh what what then is the prime mover behind this this mega narrative and I think I have been thinking about mega narratives quite a lot because I, I was doing a project quite recently in Para, where you know there were there were many mega narratives that we could work with, but you know in mapping the assets, which is one of the things that we were doing, um, we had to decide if not you wouldn't know where to start or where to end uh, on a particular mega narrative uh, because of the area in which we were. Uh, which we were doing the the study, you know, um, and that had to do with royalty. Um, but maybe in another part of Para, uh, which was this, another study that we did, we actually looked very much more at how the environment shaped um, the the landscape, so to speak. You know, the what people did, um, the economics of the area, the physical. And then we, we had to understand it related to the river. How does a river, um, if that was your key way of, um, your key highway previously, you know, the Plank River used to be our key highway between Plank and, and, and KL. 
right? And then you have all the other rivers um, that led to and from um, what we now call the confluent. I mean, now now we refer to as the confluence, um, as as the start of Kuala Lumpur, where the Klang and the Gombak rivers meet, uh, where Machet Jamek is located right now. Um, we need to start, you know, understanding that. And there were many different contributory factors and many different uh, communities that contributed um, to it. So is it just about place? Is it about um, important people? Important people are very important because they are the leaders. They're the ones that help shape us. They're the ones who help direct us. Um, your physical landscape helps you, you know, uh, know uh, actually could dictates almost, you know, well, if you live on a flood plain or you live on a hill, you know what I mean? I mean, it, it affects your health. It affects the way, you know, um, the agriculture. It affects all sorts of things, right? Um, these are all, all the kinds of, of assets that we need to map. But back to what we were looking at, when we started looking at this particular mega narrative, we said that if we start from this point, then when we start looking at, um, sub-narratives within that mega-narrative. We looked at uh, um, craft, for example. How was that shaped? We looked at how the river related to back to the mega-narrative. And these were all sub-stories. Um, but we had that one mega-narrative. I mean, religions have a particular mega-narrative. Histories have a particular mega-narrative. You know, so we need to look at it from a very big scale so you have the, the the macro, yeah? But you also, I think, in cultural mapping can afford to look at the micro. Um, so how, how do you go about doing that? I mean, I mean, in, in, in trying to look for examples elsewhere, I think this is a good, perhaps, you know, in recognizing that um, the Philippines is perhaps head, heading in the right direction, how do we replicate that? Or how do we go about doing it in our own way here? Well, I think that we have tried. I think that we we are trying. I think that our... Um, local authorities are trying, um, you know, having, de devising, it's whether you like the planning system or you don't like the planning system, it's what we live with, okay? Um, uh, have tried to make the planning system um, more comprehensive in the sense of uh, not just look at physical planning, but also, you know, considering it in, term, in environmental terms and economic terms and social terms. I think that, but culturally, we, we're still sort of a little bit stuck in the, our, how many, the, the dominant, shall we say, the dominant racial groups, the dominant um, uh, storyline. And that is always dictated, not dictated. It's all the influence. It's always influenced by um, whose leader or what is at the moment um, you know, prime what is attractive, what is it when we talk about heritage, even when we talk about heritages, exactly what do you mean by that? Because we, we've kind of like, you know, muddled along discussing this word heritage before as well, haven't we? When we are saying, okay, you know, whose heritage? Um, for what? And it it's not so much about heritage, it is about um what does it tell us about ourselves? How does it help us identify what is important to us individually, us as a community? And I think that that is what is important. 
um, to us. And I think that's kind of something that we need to begin to tackle at a more granular level. Because what, what happens with a lot of these plans um, is that they are done at a very high level. Um, because there has to be some kind of, as you said earlier, you know, how, and you know, at, at which point do you benchmark or which point do you, what, you know, where do you start? Where do you pitch it at? Because if you do it, you have so many different starting points. Um, you probably won't get anywhere because everybody will continue to be confused. Um, if you make it too high level, then, you know, um, a lot of people feel left out or dissatisfied. So how do you dictate? And I think that that one of the things that cultural mapping from an individual basis, you know, from an individual community level, um, that can be important will be for different community groups to say, let's talk about our own histories. Let's talk about ourselves. And let's sort of see where we are now and how we got there um, and what has helped us along the way. And what are the physical and um, intangible social, cultural, environmental things that have, have impacted us so that we are the way we are today? Because if you live in a desert environment, um, your behavior, you know, your food, your practices will be quite different from if you live, you know, high on a mountain um, or um, in a floodplain or, you know, um, you know, along the coast, right? So these are things that affect the way in which we, all communities, all, all groups of people um, live in human beings. We, we kind of like social groups. Like, you know, we kind of like to live with each other. We don't, we, we're not, we don't live in isolation, right? So we, we come to some kind of compromise. Um, but it's always good to be able to understand where we came from, which, which is what I found interesting about the, the Philippines um, and this has just come about. I mean, it was August, um, you know, twenty twenty three. Yeah. To be fair, I think initiatives like this have been initiated by a lot of, um, I guess, NGOs and you know, in, in yes. private players, right? So, so, so it's not something that's I think pretty foreign to both Absolutely. me and you. Yeah. It's just that um, how do we go? How do we extend that and make it more, not necessarily formalized, but also more visible to others, you know, so that it becomes a much more focused or much more of a common goal among you know people in the in, in, in you know people in in the community in, well I mean people in the country I suppose you know I think everyone should play a part in in I guess trying to look for alternative narratives I suppose you know different narratives you know cultural mapping you know or sharing sharing sharing, sharing yeah. stories it really is about sharing stories mm. well you know then I go to you know it's really important to be able to do it at all levels including uh, education, uh, you know, within the education system, you know, um, that that's really important um, to have it within. So cultural studies, I have always thought, you know, were really important, um, but we don't do much of that in in our in our school curriculum. I don't think, um, but I think it is very important to to be able to say. You know, and, and if at school level, um, school kids can go out and explore the area in which they live, um, the areas in which that the different communities who live around them, around their school. And schools are great beds for this because they are, you know, great places because you have many, many different people from different, at least when I went to school, 
from different walks of life, from different cultural groups, from different, you know, religious, different parts of of, of the world and um, parts of the country, that is, um, different states. Um, and if you can embed that as a practice when you are young, I think when you're older, you're more likely to be more open to seeing, not to changing yourself, but to understanding that, you know, while you are shaped by your background, your family, your history, etc., others are also shaped by their family, the back, and they may have a different family and background and history from you. And so it is about ultimately, I think, tolerance. Um, it's not about um, I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, we might agree to disagree, we, but we will have a lot of commonalities. And it is about finding those commonalities. And I think that when you start mapping your assets, you will find commonalities. Um, but how do you um, put it forward? Well, um, the media play a role. Um, you know, uh, being open-minded plays a role. Um, uh, leaders play a role, not to say we should keep ourselves separate, but we should try to find ways to bring people to, to act as bridges, basically, and to have more common spaces within which people, uh, neutral spaces within which people can interact. And I think that because of the way um, government works, um, there are opportunities there within the local planning system. For example, you know, you have the focus group discussions and all of that, which are part of um, the, the process, the planning process. On the one hand, on the other hand, you don't see the follow through. So there's no feedback loop. You know, I call you in for a consultation. Um, I listen to your point of view, um, but then you, you're you very happy to participate. You, the, the rakyat, let's say, are very happy to participate. Then you go away, but you never know what ultimately has um, been decided or if your ideas um, haven't been adopted. You don't know why. And I think that that can cause a certain amount of dissatisfaction. And very often when there's an explanation as to actually you were the only one that thought that way, you know, and everybody else we consulted thought the other way, well, then, you know, a majority has to rule, you know, and there has to be something, you know, for the greater good. And there has to be, you know, and these are things that, that um, rationally, um, if more time, I think, can be given to that process in the planning process, I think that, that would be critical because it's there within our law. It isn't it? It isn't there. It's there. It's just not fully um, used, utilised. Um, captured, maybe. Then we need to embrace it a little bit more. That there's nothing wrong with difference. You've been tuning in to I Love KL and that was our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa talking about the importance of cultural mapping on a more granular level. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you missed any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash I Love KL, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and you can also find this episode and many others on Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Stay safe and join us again next week only on BFM 89.9 The Business Station You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9 The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app